listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Well, saints of resurrection and friends far and near, welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life. Our subject of late has been a glorious one, heaven no less. But folks, today we want to talk about the rather inglorious way that most of God's people go to heaven, and that's by dying. You've heard the saying, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. Well, there's actually a perfectly good reason uh, for both of those things. It's natural to want to go to heaven, and it's perfectly natural not to want to die. In the sermon that I'm sharing in today's podcast, I'm going to be exploring why the prospect of dying and going to heaven is not something that even for mature and devout Christians we have pure enthusiasm for. Folks, this has everything to do with the fact that death itself is an unnatural state, uh, the separation of our bodies, which remain on earth, and our souls, which go to heaven, isn't what God intends for us in the long run. And so it's quite natural, but it seems a bit strange to us, very foreign, and it's not entirely appealing. It's certainly not the sum and substance of our future hopes as Christians, simply to die and go to heaven. But, uh, having acknowledged and then having even affirmed from Scripture that our love uh, of this life is a legitimate thing and our distaste for death itself is a legitimate thing, brothers and sisters, I also want to meditate on the immense comfort that it should be for Christians that the moment of death, when it comes, is the moment of our entrance into the very presence of Christ in heaven. For all the strangeness of this experience, it will be an unspeakably blessed experience. Indeed, those whose souls depart from their bodies and from this world and join the spirits of the righteous in heaven, they will enter into a realm of blessing that is right to long for by faith, even in this life. And there's more than comfort to be found Folks, there is courage to be gotten from this. Confidence that death brings heaven for us means that while we don't live as Christians with a death wish, yet we do live with no fear of death itself. Indeed, uh, we can live as those who laugh at death and live with abandon, therefore, uh, in service to Christ. So I hope that you are profited uh, as you listen on. We're continuing this evening our mini-series on a delightful subject, the subject of heaven. And for our purposes tonight, thinking of dying and going to heaven, we'll look at Luke 23, verse 39 to 43. That, among other passages before us, this is the account of our Lord's crucifixion. I'll break in then on one particular vignette of that longer story. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly. 
For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God. Amen. You recall that we have defined heaven in simple terms as the place where God dwells. That is to say, the place where he particularly manifests his presence and his glory. Heaven is a created realm. It's part of the world in which God has made. But we might choose to call it another dimension of this created world. One theologian describes it this way. It is a spiritual dimension of reality which God has hidden from us in this present age. A dimension which nonetheless really does exist in our space, time, universe. Now, it was important to us last week to consider the relationship of heaven to earth. We saw that at the beginning it was very closely joined. Heaven and earth found its connection there in that place where God revealed himself to man in Eden, in the garden. Sin threatened that connection. Indeed, for a short time... Were we watching what had transpired with the fall of Adam, we might have despaired of heaven and earth ever being connected again. But God's plan of redemption has brought that about indeed. It has reconnected heaven and earth. God's glory, his presence has been known here in the earth despite its sin, despite its unworthiness to receive him. It has been known increasingly, in increasing measure, and we saw last week that it is God's plan that that increasing connectedness between heaven and earth, now and particularly in the new covenant age, encompassing the globe in various ways, particularly on occasions like this one where the people of God assemble as his temple. God will bring that to consummation by bringing heaven to earth, by uniting heaven and earth. We're told in the scriptures, God will one day make his home again in the earth. Now, that final picture, that most glorious picture, we're going to come back to next week. That's the thing we most long for, and we'll return to that next week. Tonight, we take up a question that's vital for every Christian in considering this subject of heaven. We're going to look at heaven as the place to which our souls go when we die. Where does my soul go when I, when I die? The answer to that question is it goes to heaven. We want all the comfort of that without the confusion that often uh, attends that. This evening we'll look at three things. We'll look first at what I'm going to call the strangeness of going to heaven. Secondly, we'll look at the blessedness of going to heaven. And thirdly, we'll look at the temporariness of going to heaven. First, the strangeness, as I'm putting it, of going to heaven. Brothers and sisters, I want you to listen carefully. For many Christians, the sum and substance of the Christian's hope is that when we die, we get to go to heaven. From a biblical point of view, neither our dying nor our going to heaven was ever supposed to happen. Now, when I speak that way, I want to 
make a very quick clarification. I'm not in the, light, the least suggesting that anything has happened in heaven and earth that has not been part of God's eternal plan. Indeed, we're right on schedule, fulfilling all that he has in his secret will determined. But we can, in a very real sense, speak of things that should not have happened, that were not supposed to have happened, that were not things God delights in or desired in that sense, in his revealed will. Adam and Eve were not supposed to rebel against God. They were not supposed to die. The world was not supposed to become what it has become, a dark and dismal place. These are things that we can speak of as things God has not wanted, not desired, and yet, at the same time, they are things which he has ordained. We've talked in the past about that distinction we make between God's secret will and his revealed will. My point for this evening is to ask this question. If sin was not supposed to happen, if death was not supposed to happen, what was supposed to happen? Well, we actually have an answer for that. Very large measure. Man was supposed to live forever in fellowship with God. This magnificent world that he has made. Adam and Eve were supposed to multiply, as God had told them to do, to fill the earth and the beauty and the order of that garden that God had himself made for them was intended to be spread by their taking dominion over all the earth. Because we see a connection there in Eden between heaven and earth, we have every reason to believe that as they spread the beauty and order of Eden through their descendants throughout all the earth, God's heaven would have been more and more joined to the earth. Adam's labors would have brought that about as he enlarged Eden's borders. And by the faithfulness of God's image bearers, heaven would have come to earth. That's what would have, that's what would have happened. That's what was supposed to have happened. This is not just idle speculation on our part. We know this. We know what Adam and Eve should have done, brothers and sisters, because what Adam failed to do, God in Jesus Christ is doing. He's in fact taking up what Adam failed to do. That's what redemption is. Redemption in the biggest scope is God's restoring to the earth what was supposed to be. And he does that in an undaunted determination to bring all this about despite all of his enemies' resistance, and we might add, despite all the weakness of his friends, he is going to bring about what was originally supposed to be. So, in terms of our subject in this series and tonight, heaven and earth, the plan at creation is the plan in redemption. Heaven comes to earth in the plan of redemption. That's why I can speak to you this evening about the strangeness of our going to heaven. You and I were made for earth, not heaven. And heaven was intended to come to us, not us going to heaven. The reason for this strangeness, of course, lies in the curse God has brought upon all men because of sin, the curse of death. And since we can talk about the strangeness 
of our going to heaven when we die for two reasons. We can speak of it as something strange or unnatural, contrary to the way it was supposed to be. First of all, because the body and the soul were not supposed to be separated. That's what death is, of course. It's the separation of body and soul. The body dissolves, but the soul continues in conscious existence. And that's why, when you think of death as separation, most fundamentally, that's why it makes sense what God says. In the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. You know that Adam actually continued to live for 900 and some years after that was spoken to him. But on the day that he ate, he was separated from God. That's what death ultimately is. That's what the ultimate death is. And God has put a mark of that curse of sin, separation between us and God, in ourselves at death, when our souls and our bodies are separated. Now, if you're a Gnostic, if you have that view of the world, then you think of the time when the soul is separated from the body as the time when finally you can realize your full potential. From a Gnostic perspective, that's what you've been living for anyway. It's the curse, the, the meddling of some demi-urge, lesser God that has enslaved you in your body. And if you have a Gnostic perspective, then what's really supposed to happen is for your soul to be separated from your body and to be thereby freed. That's not a biblical perspective. Biblical perspective is in the moment of death, the separating of the soul and the body is something strange. It's something unnatural. It's a result of the curse. The writer of Ecclesiastes puts it this way in chapter 8, verse 8. No man has power to retain the spirit or power of the day of death. What is presumed in the way he speaks is that we all would if we could. We'd retain our spirit because for our spirit to leave our body is something strange. It's not supposed to be that way. It's also strange, secondly, to live a bodiless existence, which is the nature of living in heaven. Remember, heaven is the place God has created originally for himself, through his spirit and for his spirit beings, angels. To live, it was made as a realm for spirits. Heaven is a realm in which we will go when we become spirits without bodies. This is a point of confusion for many Christians. They are inclined to think of especially loved ones who died in the Lord as being in a place where now they have perfect hands and perfect legs and they're restored in all their features. And brothers and sisters, that's a Christian hope. They've got a hold of something. Christians who think of them uh, going directly to a place where they have a new body. They have a hold of a Christian hope, but it's a misplaced hope. That hope actually awaits the final day when Christ will raise the bodies of our loved ones and ourselves, for that matter, from the grave. That's when we will have new bodies restored, flesh and blood bodies but when we die, we go to heaven as spirits, souls without our bodies. The writer of Hebrews speaks of the angels in heaven and God and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Christians don't believe in ghosts who roam the earth, but we do believe that when we die, our spirits 
as spirits go to heaven. Stephen prays as he dies, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now that's as well something that is to us strange. We might as well say it. It's a strange thing to think of our bodies and souls being separated. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And our spirits to go to heaven instead of heaven coming to us. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And why am I laboring to make this observation? Brothers and sisters, it actually is very important to, first of all, understanding something about the way the Scripture teaches us about life. And it's also important for understanding how we naturally respond to dying and going to heaven. In the Scriptures, it is strongly affirmed that it is right and good to want to live. To want to live here and now, this life. That is the affirmation of the Scriptures. Again, this is not a Gnostic perspective. A Gnostic perspective that thinks of the spirit existence, a spiritual existence as superior, would consistently have saints just eager to depart the body. That's not what we find. We've seen in the Psalms just tonight, and Elder Dollar this morning, as he stole even more of my thunder, uh, spoke of this from the Psalms. Psalm 34, the psalmist says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And then he goes on to tell you how you can have that. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And he goes on. Psalm 30 is an example of the psalmist crying out for his life to be spared. His life is precious to him. He wants it to be precious to God and for God to show that it is. Oh, Lord, my God, I cry to you for help and you have healed me. Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. That is a reference to the place of the dead, the place where the souls go. That's the reference in the Old Testament. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. He's not speaking of a death and resurrection. He's speaking of a very, very near miss. Psalm 6 we sang a moment ago. There is a, a common prayer in the Psalter. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? He is making a, a, a strong affirmation of the naturalness of the, in certain respects, in the betterness of being able to worship God, body and soul, in this life. You find that in the scriptures, not only in the book of Psalms. This explains such a robust affirming of life. It also explains, brothers and sisters, your own thoughts. As you anticipate death, if you're a mature and spiritually minded Christian, you still have mixed feelings about dying and going to heaven. There's no fear of death among the mature Christian, but neither is there a death wish either. Would it be an indictment for us? To come to a place, perhaps of threatened life and health, to say, I, I want to live. I want to live longer. Well, apparently not. That's what the Apostle Paul does himself when facing the prospect of death. He says, for me to live 
is Christ and to die is gain? If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. So, brothers and sisters, my point here is that healthy, godly, mature Christians, they're ready to die. They're willing to die. They're even content to die. At the same time, because it is a strange thing to die and to go to heaven. Scripture affirms it's right for us to want to live, to pray that God would spare us and our loved ones. I had the opportunity recently to share that with some of you as you've prayed for loved ones who are very sick. The Scriptures, particularly the Psalms, give you a robust Reason for doing that. Yes, they, you may be confident they'll go to heaven when they die. But you're right to want them to live. That's what I've called the strangeness of dying and going to heaven. But secondly, we want to talk about the blessedness of it. For all of the strangeness of it, earth created to be our home, Leaving our bodies here where we're so much a part of what we are. Going to heaven. When heaven is supposed to come to earth, brothers and sisters, despite all of that, it's strange and we may even say unnatural about that. God has made this a unspeakably blessed thing. You need to know that the scripture doesn't say a great deal about what it will be like for our souls to be in heaven When we die, it doesn't say a great deal about that. Some of the key passages that Christians assume are talking about that are actually talking about the time when Christ comes again and restores us to life in the new earth. I'm thinking of Hebrews 11, for example, we looked at some weeks ago. It speaks of Abraham looking forward to the city that has foundations. whose designer and builder is God. Or Revelation 21, which speaks... Of the New Jerusalem, the holy city, the, the city with jasper walls and pearly gates. And in the context, actually, the writer is speaking of the time when we will enter into that city in a new earth. Many of the passages that we think of as speaking of where we go when we die are actually speaking of the final consummation of all things. Brothers and sisters, there are certain things are crystal clear in the Bible about what it would be like to go to heaven when we die. Three of them, briefly. It's blessed to go to heaven when you die because your soul will be made perfect. Scripture teaches this. Our confession puts it this way. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in righteousness. And do immediately pass into glory. You know what this means? For all the strangeness of being a soul without a body, that will be more than compensated for by the glory, something you might call strange as well, at least from our perspective, of having a soul that is completely and immediately unhindered by any sin. Unhindered in terms of its understanding. Unhindered in terms of its desires. Unhindered in terms of its relating to the one to whom it goes. Hebrews 12 speaks of the spirits of the righteous made perfect. 
This, of course, is a decidedly Protestant doctrine that our souls are immediately made perfect. There is another view that arose during the medieval period in which that perfecting takes place over a long period of time. That's the purpose of a place named purgatory. Souls purified through trials depending upon their lives. But we believe that that the holy place heaven is fit only for those who have been made perfectly holy. That will happen immediately because of the second thing that makes it such a blessed thing to die and go to heaven. And that is that our reward begins there. Our reward begins then. Jesus tells a story, you know it, I won't turn to it, of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's possible, it's likely, in fact, that there are various elements of that that are just there for the story, for the telling of the story, not to be pressed. But the main point of the whole story of the rich man and Lazarus is that the rich man receives his comforts here on the earth, but Lazarus, when he dies, goes to the bosom of Abraham, Hebrew expression for that place to which souls go, and he is comforted. Luke 16, verse 25, Abraham says to the rich man, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. Lazarus in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Jesus uses to the thief on the cross the word paradise. The word paradise uh, has in its very uh, meaning the the, the sense of pleasure, particularly a garden place, which is a place planted and cultivated in order to please those who are there. That's the significance of the word paradise. It's a synonym for heaven where we go when we die. And so that's a second reason why it's a blessed thing to die and go to heaven. Third thing and the supreme thing. The scriptures are very clear about. Among many things it's not willing to speak to. And that is that when we die and go to heaven, we'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells the thief on the cross, Truly I say to you today, You will be with me in paradise. Paul is ambivalent about dying in Philippians 1, but the reason he's ambivalent, the reason why he can acknowledge that it would be good to go from this life is that he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. To the Corinthians, he says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's what makes it worthwhile to enter into this strange and unnatural state of existence apart from your body. It makes it worthwhile, not just because of the pleasures of that place, but because of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can I take you back to what those medieval theologians emphasize so much? The beatific vision I was concerned that we not reduce all of the afterlife and all of its stages just to uh, gazing upon Christ. That can be a truncated view of heaven. But folks, those guys are on to something at the same time. You and I should not underestimate, although we inevitably do, the blessed effects of our first sight in the sense that souls see of Jesus Christ, the one we've worshipped, the one we've 
praised and the one we've witnessed about, the one we've served. Here's how our confession puts that blessedness. Souls of the righteous, being at their death made perfect in holiness, are received in the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. Faith and love, brothers and sisters, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his promises, love for him overcomes in the Christian the natural recoil that death brings to us. It's a natural recoil for us because death is a curse and because being separated soul from body is unnatural. is not supposed to be that way. Faith and love overcomes this. And indeed, brothers and sisters, enables the Christian to look forward to what death will bring, the presence of Christ. Paul says, despite his ambivalence, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's of relevance to you as you watch the loved ones who die in Christ on their deathbed. You know how many times and trivial ways by people who don't know what they're talking about it said he's in a better place but actually brothers and sisters as Christians who bear your Christian loved ones you have title to say that that's exactly the truth it's profoundly so why because anywhere that Christ's special presence is is a better place by far This is relevant as we await our own death. We go to heaven when we die. And that is why Paul can say death's lost its sting. This is why the Christian can live recklessly in obedience to the Lord. Not afraid of death. As Paul would write, Acts 21, I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So I'm inviting you this evening to think as we look at death or dying and going to heaven as a strange and yet a blessed thing. I'm inviting you to think, think of this as an illustration. I'm inviting you to think of your death as a kind of fall, a potentially ruinous fall, death is like a fall. But it's a fall that God intervenes in for those who are beloved by Him. He catches those who are falling in death and keeps them from a ruinous fall. Our going to heaven in spirit when we die is God's catching us in our fall. Brothers and sisters, it's not his intention only to catch us in our fall. It's also his intention to restore us to the place from which we fell. So let me look with you lastly, briefly, at the temporariness of going to heaven. Heaven. I hope by now you're able to see what I might mean by that. Going to heaven will be a state of existence that's only temporary. Again, many Christians are confused on this point. If you ask... Uh, The typical Christian, when you go to heaven, how long will you be there? 
likely get the answer forever. Of course, there's something true about that. There are things you will begin to experience in heaven that you'll, for, you'll experience forever. Freedom from sin and fellowship with Christ. Brothers and sisters, you'll not be in heaven forever. There will be a very decisive beginning to your time then. An even more decisive end. Your time in heaven will begin with your death, as we've already seen. Jesus says that to the thief on the cross. By the way, it's likely that when the thief on the cross says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a staggering profession of faith from that thief on the cross. And it's very likely what he's doing is affirming the Jewish belief that there would be a resurrection. And of all things, he's affirming that this man who's dying beside him is the promised one. And he will somehow, in his beginning uh, faith and understanding, he will be the king on that coming glorious day. And Jesus doesn't just say to him, okay, I'll grant your request. I'll remember you on that day. He actually says, indeed, today. You will be with me in paradise. Our time in heaven begins with death and it ends with the return of Christ to earth, in which heaven is brought to earth. You saw that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, a few weeks ago. May he establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You're going to leave heaven. With the Lord Jesus as he comes back to earth. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll see it again as we continue next week. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So, brothers and sisters, Your time in heaven, if you do go there, will be a temporary time. As a matter of fact, some Christians won't go there at all. Some Christians will be alive when Jesus returns. And they will be there to witness and to participate in the flesh, though transformed, in all the great renewal that takes place. And heaven will have already come to earth. When that happens, there are some Christians who will never go to heaven I will have you know that heaven is the best rest area that has ever been devised or even imagined. But it is still a rest area. You won't stay there. That's why theologians have called our time there, our souls in heaven, the intermediate state. Not a very catchy expression, but that is what theologians use to describe the time between our death and the final Resurrection. Not to be unduly provocative, but in an ultimate sense, that's why you can say heaven is not your home. In an ultimate sense, you were made to live on God's green earth. That's where you will return with our Lord Jesus. By the way, some of our hymns are not clear on that point. Some of our confusion comes from some of our hymns about heaven. Our hymns have a tendency to do this. They have a tendency to speak about the glory that we enter into at death as indistinguished from that final consummation of new heavens and new earth. 
Sometimes that's innocent enough. Other times it's downright confusing. The reason I point these things out, brothers and sisters, the temporariness of going to heaven is that in order to have the kind of longing that the scriptures invites you to have, that longing is ultimately not directed towards heaven when you die. From a biblical perspective, it's longing directed to heaven coming to earth in that glorious last day. That's what the creation is longing for. Remember Romans 8? The whole creation is longing for that day. That's what the souls of the righteous in heaven now are longing for. According to Revelation chapter 6, they're crying out from under the altar, How long, O Lord? That's what Peter invites us to long for. 2 Peter 3.13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I've asked a lot of you this evening, let me close by this point, which I hope, as you reflect on, will reveal something of the importance of the distinctions that have been made this evening. If you consider going to heaven when you die, the great, the supreme object of your longing, then there will inevitably be a conflict between heavenly mindedness and earthly usefulness. The object of your longing, going to heaven when you die, and the focus of your labors are opposed. They're in two different realms and they're towards two different ends. There is a reason why people are spoken of as so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. If you consider going to heaven when you die, the great object of longing, then there's a conflict between being heavenly minded and earthly uh, useful. But if you consider heaven coming to earth as the object of your great longing, Why, then the object of your longing and the focus of your labor are one and the same. Did you follow that? Indeed, just serving God is not just compatible. Serving Him on earth is not just compatible with longing for heaven to come to earth, but it's actually the means that God uses to bring that about. That's how you hasten, as Peter says, the coming of the Lord Jesus to return to my Humpty Dumpty illustration. You serve God with reckless abandon, brothers and sisters, seeking the coming of the kingdom, fearless of death, because when you die, God is going to catch you. You will not fall to ruin. Our longing is not just to be caught, it's to be restored to the place from which we fell for us and for all that God has made for heaven to come to earth. And for us to inherit the earth according to the promise. That's why Christians don't classically pray, Lord Jesus, take me soon. They pray, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, 
a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.